Hello there. This is Volts for October 20th, 2021. Can the U.S. reach Biden's climate goal without the SEP? I'm your host, David Roberts. Uh, Just a note before we start, listeners, today's post is unusually chock full of charts and graphs, so this might be one that's worth clicking over and looking at after you've listened. All right, let's get going. Last week, Senator Joe Manchin finally stopped playing games and said that he will not vote for a budget reconciliation bill that contains the Clean Electricity Performance Program, or SEP. You can read my interview with Senator Tina Smith for more on the SEP and this post to understand why it is so centrally important to serious climate policy. I won't get into all those arguments again. Suffice it to say, it's a good policy and losing it is a bummer. Insofar as Manchin has offered any reason for killing the SEP, it is an alleged concern over, quote, using taxpayer dollars to pay private companies to do things they're already doing. But that is just incorrect. Utilities are not already doing what the SEP requires, i.e. increasing their share of clean energy four percentage points year on year every year. Only a tiny handful of the nation's thousands of utilities are on that trajectory. The sector as a whole is slowly decarbonizing, but the whole point of the policy is to accelerate the process to meet U.S. carbon targets. Manchin knows that. It's precisely what he's trying to prevent. He told CNN flat out, I'm not going to sit back and let anyone accelerate whatever the market's changes are doing. Why not? Well, he wants to keep fossil fuel power plants open, which is incompatible with Biden's publicly stated goal of 50 to 52 percent carbon reductions from 2005 levels by 2030. Manchin is standing up for local fossil fuel interests, including his own, against the president, 49 of his colleagues in the Democratic caucus, a majority of legislators in the House, a majority of voters and even a majority of West Virginia voters. He also wants to slash the child tax credit. He's just a jerk. It is what it is. At this point, it's unclear what will and won't survive into the final Build Back Better Act, or whether there will even be a final bill. Reports are that staffers are scrambling to find ways to make up the lost emission reductions through other policies. The question is, how big of a hole are they trying to fill? How big a hit is it to lose the SEP? A few analyses released in the past week are helpful in getting our heads around this. Headline 1. Energy Innovation says the loss of SEP could cost the bill up to 35% of its emission reductions. The first is from research firm Energy Innovation, which uses its energy policy simulator to determine how much emissions would be reduced by the policies in the House Democrats' version of the Build Back Better Act and the bipartisan infrastructure bill that was passed by the Senate over the summer. Obviously, predicting circumstances a decade hence is a fraught undertaking Energy Innovation ran four scenarios, a business-as-usual scenario with only existing policies, and low, moderate, and high emission reduction scenarios based on different assumptions about the price of energy and the efficacy of various provisions in the bills. They didn't model all the policies in the bills, just the ones that are relatively easy to quantify. 
Some emission reductions have gone uncounted, so the estimates energy innovation produced are almost certainly a lower bound. Here are the top-line results, and here's a chart showing the cumulative greenhouse gas reductions from 2022 to 2030 of the low scenario, about 5.8 billion megatons of carbon, the moderate scenario, about 6.8 billion, the high scenario, about 7.4 billion. In the high scenario, clean energy reaches an 85% share of U.S. electricity by 2030. In the moderate scenario, it's 80%. In the low scenario, about 70%. As you can see in the moderate scenario below, by far the biggest tranche of emission reductions, about half, would come from the combination of the SEP and the clean energy tax credits. The good news is that passing both bills could, with supporting state and regulatory policy, at the high end of the high emission reduction scenario, just barely get the U.S. to its 2030 target. That's if everything is included in the bills. The question now is, what do those numbers look like without the SEP? Luckily, Energy Innovation ran a couple of variations of its moderate scenario with no SEP. A high one, which assumes tax credits are maximally effective, and a low one with lower take-up of tax credits. Long story short, emissions are likely to be 250 to 700 million megatons higher per year in 2030 than they would be with the SEP, which could eliminate more than a third of the total emission reductions under the infrastructure bills. As the scenarios show, a great deal depends on factors that can't be precisely predicted. The price of fossil fuels, the cost curves of clean technologies, and the efficacy and impact of the clean energy tax credits and other Build Back Better policies. The loss of the SEP could reduce the emissions impact of the bill anywhere from 20 to about 35%. Headline 2. Resources for the Future agrees, but says a carbon fee could make up for it. Energy Innovation's findings jibe with the second analysis from Resources for the Future, or RFF. RFF modeled three policies in various combinations, clean energy tax credits, the SEP, and a carbon tax, or as they call it, a carbon fee. Their central carbon fee starts at $15 per metric ton and increases gradually to $30 per metric ton by 2028, followed by a $10 annual increase through the end of the modeling period in 2045. So, the tax credits alone, without the SEP, gets the electricity sector to a 69% clean energy share by 2030. That is roughly in line with Energy Innovation's high-end estimation of the tax credit's impact. The tax credits plus the SEP gets the sector to 78% clean energy, a nine-point bump. The tax credits, the SEP, and the central carbon fee all combined get the sector to 91% clean energy by 2030. RFF's model, like Energy Innovations, shows that the tax credits are doing the bulk of the work. From a baseline, no policy scenario, the tax credits take the clean energy share in 2030 from 46 to 69%, a 23-point bump. With the SEP, it goes from 69 to 78%, a 9-point bump. Notably, in RFF's modeling, the tax credits plus a central carbon fee get the share of clean energy up to 79%, 
In other words, a carbon fee pretty neatly substitutes for the SEP, emissions-wise. Nonetheless, despite some recent chatter, Manchin has already put the kibosh on the prospect of a carbon fee as well. Headline 3. Rhodium Group says the U.S. climate target is still within reach. Can the U.S. get on track to its 2030 target without the SEP? For some insight on that, we turn to another recently released analysis from the research firm Rhodium Group. It sets out to determine whether the U.S. can hit its target, again, 50 to 52 percent reductions from 2005 levels by 2030, with what it calls a joint action scenario, which includes, quote, actions by all key actors in the U.S. federal system, including legislation under construction in Congress, regulations and other actions that can be taken by the Biden administration and key departments, as well as actions by climate-leading states and corporations, unquote. Importantly, though it is capacious, the joint action scenario is deliberately conservative about policy out of Congress, given Manchin's well-known mansionness. Quote, we include tax credit extensions, clean energy grant programs, and spending on agricultural programs, but do not include a carbon or methane fee or the SEP. The good news is that the SEPless joint action scenario gets the U.S. to its goal, or at least quite close to it. Even without the SEP, it is the electricity sector that provides most of the reductions. One reason there are so many reductions in the electricity sector, and this brings us to what I suppose is the bad news, is that the joint action scenario includes a lot of policies, including standards on new and existing power plants from EPA. Getting to the U.S. target requires all levels of government and the private sector to act with immediate ambition. This is the action required by Congress. And here, listeners, is a long list of congressional actions taken into account in the joint action scenario, including clean energy tax credits, nuclear support, EV tax credits, building efficiency tax credits, and on and on. This is the action required by the executive branch. And here we get new source performance standards for electricity generating units, for light duty vehicles, for industrial sources, for oil and gas production, and on and on. And this is what's required of subnational groups, i.e. states, cities, and companies. And here we have clean energy standards, utility clean power targets, zero emission vehicle mandates, low carbon fuel standards, and on and on and on. If all of that comes together, then the U.S. can hit its 2030 climate target without the SEP. Rhodium stresses that the joint action scenario is not the only path to that goal. The final section of its analysis suggests a range of other policies that could also help. But any path to the goal involves coordinated action taken on numerous fronts at once. And a lot of luck. Headline 4. Where does this leave us? For years now, it's been one of the climate world's great rituals. After every new setback, delay, or disappointment, there's a rush of articles and models showing we can still do it. It's not impossible yet. I suppose this is another one of those posts. Even without the SEP, the two infrastructure bills passed together would reduce emissions considerably. The loss of the SEP 
would take a big chunk out of those emission reductions, more than a third if things go poorly, but there's a chance some of that can be made up with other policies. This is assuming, of course, that the Build Back Better bill doesn't get worse. Manchin may not be done screwing it up yet. The top priority now should be protecting the full range of clean energy tax credits and ensuring that they extend at least 10 years and that they are fully refundable. And other policies must be protected as well. Here, according to Energy Innovation, are the next most effective policies after the SEP plus the tax credits. Quote, the second strongest provision is the fee on oil and gas methane emissions, which contributes about 12% of total reductions, or 165 million megatons in 2030. Incentives for electric vehicles and charging equipment are next after that, at 115 million megatons in 2030, or 9% of the total reductions. I tend to doubt congressional staffers will be able to find anything new that's big enough to compensate for the loss of the SEP. But Biden can also gain back some of those reductions through aggressive use of the EPA and other agencies. We'll see if he has the moxie to do that. The U.S. doesn't need to worry that hitting its target is unaffordable. All three analyses show that decarbonizing the electricity sector will reduce consumer energy costs. And that's not even including the enormous benefits of reduced air pollution, which themselves would easily pay for the transition. Nonetheless, rapid decarbonization is a huge, wrenching socioeconomic transformation. Hitting our target would be a heroic feat. The fastest the U.S. has ever reduced emissions in the modern times, outside of a recession, is 4.1% in 2012. To get to 50% reductions by 2030, Rhodium says, requires a 5.2 to 5.6% year-on-year cut in emissions every year. We have to go faster than we've ever gone every year from now through 2030. And that's only the first and arguably easiest step. The first 50% of reductions will be easier than the last 50%, which we need to eliminate by 2050. That will require new policies, technologies, and industries. In the grand scheme of things, the loss of the SEP is not the end of the world, as irritating and indefensible as it is. As long as Manchin doesn't do any more damage, as long as staffers scrabble together a few compensatory policies, as long as Biden uses executive agencies aggressively as long as cities, states, and businesses continue acting ambitiously, well, as long as all of that happens, we still have a shot. Thanks for listening, y'all. See you next time. Bye.